Evan and I were on a road trip this summer and we noticed something a little fishy. All of a sudden we looked up and the road was completely covered with water. No matter how big it looked from a distance, the puddle somehow miraculously evaporated as we got closer and closer and closer to it. It hadn't rained, the ditches were dry, but the road looked wet. The only part that was wet was that puddle on the road that looked like we were getting closer to it. And the puddle seemed to bounce along as we continued driving, never really getting any closer to it. Now, all of you, I'm pretty sure, know why we never drove through that puddle that day, because the water wasn't really there. We saw it, and it sure looked like it was there, but it was a mirage, not a pool of water. It was just an optical illusion. We saw things that weren't real. On the flip side, there can be things that we can't see that truly are real. We know these things are real because we still experience them in, in one way, shape, or form. We sense them in other ways. For example, I don't see any of you this morning wearing a seatbelt as you sit in the pew. You're not worried about floating up. Why? Because gravity is real. It exists. We can't see it, but we feel it. And I'm sure some parents of small kids might wish that pews come with seatbelts, but unfortunately, they haven't been invented yet, so we're going to have to deal with that. But gravity is something invisible that we can't see, but we feel it, and so we know that it's true. There are other things as well that we can't see, but we, we experience them and we sense them. For example, you see my mouth moving, and these little things are catching the sound waves, so you know what I'm saying without having to try to read my lips. Sound is real. The sound waves are real, even though you can't really see it. But what about the things that we can't sense, like thoughts? You can't feel them. You can't see them. You can't hear them. You can't touch them. You can't taste them either, but we still know that they exist. Even though we can't sense our own thoughts or the thoughts of others, they exist. And at times we can convince ourselves that we know exactly what someone else is thinking. Whether that's I look at your face and I know exactly what lies behind that face and what you're thinking about me right now. Even though it might not be reality at all. But we convince ourselves that it's true. We convince ourselves that it's an invisible reality when in fact it's no more real than the mirage that Evan and I were trying to drive through. It's hard to identify invisible realities especially ones that we can't see, that we can't touch, that we can't smell, that we can't hear, we can't taste. So how are we supposed to know that it's really real? Well, one of the ways to determine reality is to look at God's Word. It's the inspired Word of God who does not lie. It can be trusted in all things. And God's Word is true. And in our text this morning, Jesus brings to light a few invisible realities that are truly real. I invite you again to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 as I read verses 1 through 8. And this passage exposes the invisible realities of faith, of faithlessness, and also of forgiveness. Things we can't see, but things that are really real. And again, I invite you to stand out respect for God's word if you are able to. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Again, reading in Jesus' name. Getting into a boat... Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, 
your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth here today. Lord, give us understanding of your word. Apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, help us to live our lives in accordance with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew starts this narrative sharing that Jesus got into a boat and came to Capernaum. He came to his own town. Other gospel accounts of this event give a few more details that Matthew doesn't have. They mention that Jesus is in a house, a crowded house. Jesus is teaching people. And there are five people that hear about Jesus' teaching, and they want in too. And so they make an effort to come together to find Jesus where he is at. And when they get to the house, it's crowded. If they're not willing to give up, they've made it so far already. Jesus is so close they can almost touch him, but they can't because they're separated by a crowd. They're determined not to give up. One of these men was paralyzed. He couldn't walk through the crowd. If, if, there, if everyone was able to walk, they could kind of nudge their shoulders a little bit and kind of weave through the crowd and get to Jesus. But these people couldn't because they're carrying a man who can't walk. And it's hard to walk three people wide through a crowded room. The people wouldn't move over for him. And why should they? They were there first, and they had every right to hear from Jesus too. The man and the friends, though, they took a different route. They carried the man all the way up on top of the roof, and they opened the roof, and they lowered him down in front of Jesus. The gospel records don't, the writers don't record the friends or the paralytic man as, as saying anything. Jesus is teaching in this crowded house, and all of a sudden there's some commotion upstairs, and all of a sudden here comes this man who can't walk being lowered down right in front of Jesus. The crowd saw something that day. I'm sure the crowd was wondering all kinds of different things at this spectacle playing out in front of their eyes. Some entitled people who went around everyone else to force their way to Jesus. What makes them so important that they can do this? They saw a motley crew vandalizing someone else's roof and interrupting the teacher. Again, who gave them permission? What makes them so important? To do this, they saw people who were less worthy than themselves who got there first. But Jesus sees something else. If you look in your Bibles in verse 2, what does it say? What does it say that Jesus sees? Matthew writes, seeing their faith. Jesus sees what can't be seen. He sees the invisible reality that's present in the hearts of these four friends and this paralyzed man too. These inconsiderate trespassers who made their way to Jesus. Jesus sees them, and he knows why they're there. They knew who Jesus was. They had heard who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus could do. They trusted in Jesus. They believed in him. And they made a way for their friend to get to Jesus. And seeing their faith, Jesus speaks to the paralytic. 
Without saying anything, without the friends or this man saying anything, Jesus responds to them and says, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw their faith and assured the man that his sins were forgiven. There's another demographic of of people that were there that day, present in the crowd. One translation would say scribes, others would say uh, teachers of the law. These weren't the reporters of the way who were just looking for a good story. No, these were the theological guard dogs of the day. They're religious leaders. And they are intent on disproving the ministry and the authority of Jesus. They're there not because they're interested in what Jesus has to say, as though they want to learn. But they're there so they can critique every little thing that Jesus says and does. As the crowd noticed their presence, they may have been on guard a little bit. Because these people were holier than the rest of them. These were the ones who had dedicated their whole lives to God's work. They were, again, the theological watchdogs of the day, assessing what kind of teaching is going on here. And does this teaching agree with everything that we have said? Does it agree with the establishment? Or is it some other kind of teaching? They had a preconceived conviction that Jesus could not be and that Jesus was not God. He's just a regular guy who had no authority to be doing the things that he was doing. They keep their mouth shut. But again, Jesus sees their thoughts. He sees and he knows their thoughts. Some manuscripts have the word in in verse 4, the same word as verse 2. It has seeing rather than knowing. Jesus sees their thoughts. He knows their thoughts. He knows exactly what they're thinking, even though they haven't said a word. Jesus saw the ugly, invisible reality present in the hearts of these scribes. Again, even though they haven't said anything, or done anything, frankly, for that matter. And he asks them, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? The scribes were aware that no man has the authority to forgive sin. It's not in our power to do. No matter how good a man there is, no one can forgive except God alone. The scribes aren't wrong in that assumption. It's accurate. However, they erred in one major point, their categorization of Christ, limiting Jesus to a mere man rather than God in flesh. And Jesus confronts them head on and asks the blunt question, so what's easier to say? Is it easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or is it easier for me to say get up and walk? Both are pretty simple to say. Any one of us can say that. But doing these things, which one of these things is easier to do? One of these can be validated by our senses, and we can see the results. I can say your sins are forgiven, and we can all go our happy way, and and no one can know one way or the other if your sins are actually forgiven. But if I go to someone who can't walk, and I say, you're healed, get up and walk, in a few moments, people will realize if I'm a phony and a fraud, or if I'm the real deal. I would never say get up and walk because I know I don't have that kind of authority. So Jesus asks the question. Forgiving sins is, though, is something that we aren't able to perceive through our senses. It's perceived by faith. So who can say one way or the other if this man's sin is actually forgiven? They could have been empty words and no one would have known the difference which is precisely why Jesus approaches the situation in this manner, and he first starts saying, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. 
He saw the faithlessness of the scribes. He knew that they knew that he couldn't forgive sins. There's no way. And Jesus shows the scribes and all of those present, including the man on the mat, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, again, recognizing that, yes, I am man, I am a human being, I am the Son of Man, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. When he speaks to the paralytic, he turns and he speaks to this man who has come all this way, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And suddenly, here's a foolproof evidence that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. As this man is lying down, decides, well, I don't know, Jesus, it's, it's been a long time. I've never been able to do this before. What, what do you think, what makes you think that I can do this now? But the text doesn't say that he hesitated. The text says he got up, picked up his mat, and went home. And everyone saw it. And the crowd is left to process everything that just happened. What did we just see? What did we just experience? And they sense the power of Christ, the Son of Man who is there teaching them in their midst. And what a joy that would be to know for sure, to know for certain, as certain as placing one foot in front of the other gets you from point A to B, to know objectively that God has forgiven your sins. That God is able to do that and God desires to do that. Every step the paralytic would take was a reminder of that reality that, oh yeah, before I could walk, the last thing I heard was, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know if that's true or not. But then he said, pick up your pallet and walk. And I can feel the muscles in my leg. And I'm no longer being carried around by friends, but I am walking here to there. And every time the crowd would see this paralyzed man walking from then on, they would remember that Christ has the power to forgive sins. Jesus made this invisible reality of the forgiveness of sins a visible reality for the people there that day. We've also witnessed this invisible reality made visible to us this morning. Sophie has just been baptized and united to Christ in baptism by faith. She has truly received the forgiveness of of sins. We didn't see a big whiteboard hanging over her head that said, Sophie, these are all the sins you have committed. These are all the sins you're going to commit. And a big old eraser wiping it away. That's, we didn't see that. Did you? No. All we saw was a smiley little child, a precious child, who's got their head wet a little bit. And we heard the words, baptizing you into the name of the Father, into the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's it. But we trust the promises of God's word. And there in that moment, in that act, God is working through his word and through his spirit to create faith in little Sophie's heart, applying the precious cleansing blood of Jesus to her account and uniting her with Christ and giving to her Christ's perfection as her own. And it happened before our very eyes. And that reality is just as real and just as miraculous as this paralyzed man being made well. Where there is faith, there is the forgiveness of sins. And we've seen it this morning. We've heard it. There's more to baptism than what we see on the surface. There are realities that are at play that, that happen because of, again, the power and the promise of God's word and the finished work of Jesus. Just as every step was a reminder for the paralytic that his sins were forgiven, each time we witness a baptism, we're reminded that our own sins 
have also been forgiven. That God was at work there in his word through his blood, through that water, to forgive us of our sins. It's an invisible reality in which we continue to live. We've been made new. Not so that we can live however we want to live, but as Kevin read in our Ephesians text this morning, that we are to lay aside the old self. And now we have this new self. We have been cleansed. We have been made new. So we lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on that new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness of holiness and the holiness of the truth. Again, of the truth. Not a mirage, but objective reality. It's true. This is how Christ has called us to live. And as he has saved us, as he has given us new life in baptism, he's created faith within our own hearts and has dealt with our sin. Last week in our Sunday school class, we read the last chapter of the prophet Zephaniah. And he also declared this invisible reality in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. He says this, The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. Do not be afraid. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. As Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior, and he will exalt over you with joy. This is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is what he offers to us in his word. This is the reality that he brings to us through faith, invisible, something we can't see, something that God both creates, but something that God also sees. We witnessed a miracle this morning. And we can respond the same way as the scribes and we can ask in disbelief and say, how can this be? This doesn't make any sense. You don't have any power to save any soul. That water is not anything special at all. So how can this be? It can't be done. It doesn't make sense. Sophie can't believe. But we look to God's word and we trust who Christ is and what he has said, what he has declared and what he has promised and we respond as the rest of the crowd and as that paralyzed man in awe of the reality that Christ is able to forgive sin and that Christ is able to heal. Christ is able to create faith. He is able to, he is able to heal, to restore, and to save. Or we can respond the same way as a paralytic in each day, each step, walk in the glorious reality of the full and abundant forgiveness of the finished work of Christ for you, which comes to us again by faith in Jesus. Because as we live our lives, we feel our sin, don't we? We may not be able to see it, but we feel it. We experience the guilt and the shame and all of these things. But as we look at what God's word says and as he declares, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And he has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. 
As we look again to that wonderful, glorious promise that Christ has done in each one of our hearts through baptism, creating faith and uniting us with Christ, where we receive Christ's righteousness, then we're able to walk that walk of faith and know that I am forgiven. The crowd that was gathered in that home received something far greater than some tips to live a good life. They learned that Jesus has the authority to forgive sin. And it's why we continue to come together here week after week after week. Together as we gather as a Christian community so that we might be reminded once again of this invisible reality. We can't see it. We can't always experience it or sense it. And so we need to be reminded. But we also come so that this invisible reality can also be seen. As we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, as saints who have been cleansed by the word of God and the blood of Jesus, as saints who are continuing to be made holy by the Holy Spirit as he works through the word, as we continue to see God coming to us through his sacraments, the sacrament of baptism and and once a month the sacrament of Holy Communion, where we see and taste, feel, touch, receive, smell the forgiveness of sins as the blood of Christ given and shed for you. We continue to come week after week so that our souls might be nourished, so that we continue to be fed, so that we are also encouraged to live that life that God has called us to live, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, and to aid one another, to remind ourselves and to remind each other of what is really real, even if we can't see it, we can't perceive it. Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins, and Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all of your sins through faith in him. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. God, we thank you that through your word you make known to us realities that we can't see, that we can't experience, that we can't really understand, but we can know them because you have revealed them to us. Help us to trust these things, Father. We thank you for your work through your word and through your spirit in our hearts and in our lives. God, we thank you that we were able to witness you working in Sophie's life today. We do pray that you would watch over her and guard her, protect her, Lord, draw her closer and closer to you each and every day of her life. Father, we pray that you would be with those who are trying to, trying to get a righteousness of their own, Lord. For those who are continuing to doubt whether or not you have the authority to forgive sins or whether or not you are God. Lord, we pray that you would continue to make yourself known. For those of us who stand in awe of what you have done, God, we pray that your praise would continually be on our hearts and on our lips, that we would point others to who you are, knowing that you are the Son of Man, but also the Son of God, who has the authority to forgive sins. Lord, you are the one who makes new. You are the one who creates faith and sustains us. You are the one who saves. We thank you, and we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.